Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Daily Wrap, The Daily Friend Show Wrap. I'm Nicholas Lorimer, and I'm joined today by Sarah Gon. Let's start off with the news of today. And this one, it doesn't feel like it should be today's news. It should. It feels like it should have been a couple of months ago's news, but it's in the news cycle today. And that is uh, Malema and a number of EFF MPs may be facing suspension temporarily from Parliament, as well as a cut to their pay uh, for storming the stage during the State of the Nation, Nation Address towards the beginning of the year. The National Assembly's Power and Privileges Committee had a meeting uh, on Tuesday where they discussed possible disciplinary measures to be taken against uh, the EFF members who stormed the stage while President Ramaphosa was about to speak. Uh, if they are found guilty, the EFF members can be suspended without pay for a period not exceeding 30 days. Um, they can also receive a fine not exceeding the equivalent of one month's salary. Uh, now, in the past, the EFF has done stuff like this before. I think there was a budget speech back in 2019 where EFF members attempted to disrupt it, and uh, they were uh, two MPs were fined a month's salary. Um, the committee, though, seemed to not really make a decision on Tuesday. Uh, the ANC seems to be pushing for more process and investigation and officials to do their work, while the EFF seemed to say they want this matter closed as soon as possible. Sara, first question to you. Um, will it be a big deal if the EFF's leader, Malema, gets suspended from Parliament for a month? Um, and on top of that, is it likely to happen, do you think? Well, I mean, before the show, we spoke about the fact that, you know, this happened in February and nothing has an impact as time goes by. Every, or the impact is lost. It would have been much more effective, small measure that it is, had it happened at the time. And it had included uh, Malema because I think a, a forced period of time outside of Parliament is not a bad thing. And I thought certainly think I'd rather welcome it in light of the shenanigans that have been tolerated with no more than a sort of being shoved out of the uh, out of the chamber, um, at the moment I almost think it's not going to make a greater difference either way. A because of the time lost, and B because Parliament's I think you know the session ends fairly soon. Right. So I think because it, the elections it, it, are coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it, it is very frustrating to see the rules being bent by the EFF like this, and and Parliament not. Uh, taking some kind of hard line on it. Um, I think it's really disruptive to the fabric of our democracy because Parliament is, of course, the place where things are supposed to happen. Um, and this is clearly against the rules <laughs> to storm the stage while someone is speaking. Uh, it's also, it's it's very frustrating that um, it just sort of, you know, the, the ANC is calling for, uh, you know, more investigation and more process. Mm -hmm. It's not like it's a mystery what happened here. There were cameras which filmed the whole thing. And it's fairly clear what the facts of the case are. Now, I think what's happened is that the the, uh, the parliamentary bureaucracy has is processing this thing very slowly, and the ANC itself doesn't actually want to get into this tussle at the moment. And of course, the problem is that you know we we spent hours over the years watching the EFF delay proceedings through. Um, Variety, a variety of, of, of calls, you know, to oppose this and oppose that. And the reality was that, like most discipline for anything, it has to happen quickly and it has to be strong and you have to be prepared to defend it. And that never really happened. So the, the EFF was essentially allowed to bend the rules. I mean, 
you know, they, it's 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 manna from heaven for them, and that's our frustration because it nothing you know it's 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 water off a uh, Julius Malema's back, frankly. <laughs> Indeed. Um, anyway, we will keep an eye on this and see if, if something does perhaps come down. Uh, the pipeline. Uh, let's move on to our next story, and this is the President Ramaphosa has directed the Special Investigative Unit to open an investigation into a 290 million rand refurbishment of the Hamanskral water treatment plant. The Royval water treatment plant is the water treatment plant which is responsible for ensuring that the people of Hamanskral in the north of Tsoane have uh, water, have clean water to drink, and it has been broken for quite a while. In fact, it's been broken for so long that rather awfully uh, earlier this year, there was an outbreak of cholera in the area, possibly from contaminated water tanks or, or some other source of water. We're not entirely sure yet what the source was. Um, uh, and several people died from that. So it's a huge crisis. You know, cholera outbreaks tend to only happen in the most war-torn you know, uh, dis disrupted, corrupt, falling apart countries. So it was hugely embarrassing that this happened in South Africa. Um, apparently, a tender was given uh, back in 2017-2018 for the refurbishment of this water treatment plant and 290 million rand was paid, but only 60% of the targets that the project had were met. And so uh, there are now questions about what exactly happened here and why was the water treatment plant not fixed. So I know is the city is uh, running very low on money right now. We've seen this very terrible strike going on in the city um, because the city says that it simply can't afford wage increases for its employees. Sarah, what do you make of this? I mean, it's not actually going to get water to people any faster, but at the very least, um, we might get some of the people responsible in trouble. You think this is a good thing? It is, and it's a good thing because water is the big next crisis or current crisis after electricity, possibly worse. And the thing is that it, it is such a grubby example of corruption, cargo deployment, uh, tenderpreneurship, and everything that goes with it. I mean, we know, we know obviously now of Edwin Sodi's involvement in the asbestos project in the Free State. Um, and here is a man who can obviously grease the palms of ANC worthies, get a tender that he really can't do anything with one way or the other, and pass it on to people who can. So theoretically, it shouldn't actually be that onerous an investigation. It just needs to be done. Obviously, you try to recover the money from SODI, which is what the SIU is tasked to do because it's, it's, it looks at things from a civil law point of view rather than a criminal. But look at who, who was responsible for awarding the tender. What did they consider? Um, how did they read Edwin SODI's application if was there an application how did it happen look none of this is new or surprising it's just terrible it's more of the same but it's almost that sort of level of not senior management but high level management that if if the very top is not going to suffer if they can at least um be made insolvent or fired or whatever options are available to Hell, we'll live with that. We'll 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 deal with it because it strikes me the little I know of it, the sort of project that if you've got the skills to do the refurbishment, it's not rocket science. It's just plain good engineering and and, and a bit of hard work. And I think South Africans, anyone who can hit the dust on this on this type of thing, 
And, and as I say, particularly that level of management that is at the Colf interface with tenderpreneurs, ugh, I think uh, it's worth it just for them. Not, don't worry about the guys at the very, very top. No, exactly. And people have now died from yeah. this corruption, this management. So it's very important, I think, that heads roll and that someone goes to jail for what happened. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our last story. Uh, one of Johannesburg's major ro- uh, roads, William Nickel Drive, has been renamed after Winnie Mandela. Um, uh, this has uh, sparked a bit of controversy, as you can imagine, with some, with many people complaining about the renaming, um, uh, least of all the cost, which was a, a reportedly around 250,000 rand to rename the street. Kenny Kunene, who is from the Patriotic Alliance, um, but is part of the, the government of Johannesburg, he's the MMC of roads and, and transport, um, defended the renaming saying you can't put a monetary value on the pain of South Africans. You can't put a price on reconciliation. Reconciliation was not fully done. It's not a one-way street. For us to be able to deal with the pain of apartheid, we must remove all the names of people of apartheid architects and those who implemented it, those who murdered our people and those who caused us so much pain and trauma. So, Sara, I think there's a lot to be said here. Um, I'm not that we have that much time to do it. I will say that um, I am actually... Uh, not super against every single name change, but I do think that when you do change a name, you have to change it to someone who there's a very, very broad consensus is a uh, a unifying figure, someone who is genuinely popular, someone who is not controversial. Um, and Winnie Mandela <laughs> was none of those things. So I think that was perhaps a bit of a misstep. What do you make of this whole process, though? Okay. Um, look, I don't think the money was that much. Um, it's not like even in our uh, dire state, it's not going to be noticed very much. Um, I think Kenny Kuneni making all these sort of historic hurt-feeling pronouncements is rather rich. Um, our, our past is way too complicated, but part of the complication is the fact that we keep, we keep um, um, running out of, you know, worthy people to name things after. Winnie Mantecizela Mandela, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> is not one of them. Whatever she may have had, and that's, I would guess, in light of recent uh, books written about her, is dubious. But the fact is that, by all accounts, she avoided um, a conviction for murder. She is a very, she was a very controversial character. I'm sure that, I know the EFF loved her, but that's not, not the point. I have no problem <clears throat> with William Nickel going. He was a, a National Party flunky, although he did have assistance to translate the Bible into Zulu of all things. And he believed, interestingly, that people have to learn, go to school in their mother in their mother tongue in order to learn to communicate properly. So nothing wrong with that. But be it as it may, I don't have any strong feelings about that. But it also shows a lack of imagination. You know, like, if you're going to do it, give it to someone different for a change. That's the one thing. The other thing is, I think, A, most people actually don't care anymore. 30 years on, William Nickel is irrelevant. And the other thing is, really, this is what we're dealing with? We've got cholera, we've got strikes, we've got a lack of money. South Africa's going down the toilet, pardon the pun, um, and we are worrying about renaming William Nickel Drive now. As, as we pointed out on the show yesterday, actually, uh, Joburg is faced currently with a massive water crisis and yet the mayor's office has only issued statements about the renaming of the road and not about the water crisis. So I think you're exactly right on that last point. We are uh, in completely the wrong priority mindset at the moment. 
uh, uh, when it when it comes to governance. But anyway, that is all the time. We always have a problem with a priority mindset. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you found the show interesting, and that's a wrap. Thank you.